What's going on, Anchor? This is Evan Steinbrink. Hope everyone is having an awesome day today. Uh, it's Friday, TGIF. Uh, yeah, hope the day has been good for everyone here listening, uh, and hope you have a fun-filled weekend ahead of you. Uh, today, in this podcast, we're going to continue my book series with Think and Grow Rich. Uh, let's get into it. If you remember, if you listened to the last one, uh, my first series on this book we ended off with one of the most important things. Success comes to those who become success conscious. And that's where we will begin the second series. I hope you guys enjoy. Failure comes to those who indifferently allow themselves to become failure conscious. The object of this book is to help those who seek it Seek it, learn the art of changing their minds from failure consciousness to success consciousness. Another weakness found in altogether too many people in the habit of measuring everything and everyone by their own impressions and beliefs. Some who read this will believe that no one can think and grow rich. They cannot think in terms of riches because their thought habits have been steeped in poverty, want, misery, failure, and defeat. Millions of people look at the achievements of Henry Ford and envy him, his good fortune, or luck, or genius, or whatever it is they credit for Ford's fortune. Perhaps one, por- perhaps one person in every hundred thousand knows the secret of Ford's success, and those who do know are too modest or too reluctant to speak of it because of its simplicity. A single transaction will illustrate the secret perfectly. When Ford described, when Ford decided to produce his now famous V8 motor, he chose to build an engine with the entire eight cylinders cast in one block and instructed his engineers to produce a design for that engine. The design was placed on paper, but the engineers believed it was simply impossible to cast an eight-cylinder gas engine block in one piece. Ford said, produce it anyway. But they replied, it's impossible. Go ahead, Ford commanded, and stay on the job until you succeed, no matter how much time is required. The engineers went ahead. There was no other option if they were to remain on Ford's staff. Six months went by and nothing happened. Another six months passed and still nothing happened. The engineer tried every conceivable plan to carry out the orders, but the thing seemed out of the question, impossible. At the end of the year, Ford checked with his engineers, and again they informed him that they found, and and again they informed him that they had found no way to carry out his orders. Go right ahead, said Ford. I want it, and I'll have it. They went ahead, and then as it, as if by the stroke of magic the secret was discovered, the Ford determination had won once more. This story may not be described with minute accuracy, but the sum of the substance of it is correct. Deduce from it, you who wish to think and grow rich, the secret of Ford's millions, if you can, you'll have to look, you'll not have to look very far. Henry Ford is is success because he understands and applies the principles of success. One of these is desire. Knowing what one wants, remember this Ford story as you read and pick out the lines in which the secret of this stupendous achievement has been described. If you can do this, 
If you can lay your finger on the particular group of principles that made Henry Ford rich, you can equal his achievements in almost any calling for which you are suited. Henry Ford of the late 20th century was Bill Gates. Just as Ford revolutionized the transportation industry by creating a car that almost anyone can afford and drive, Bill Gates transformed the computer industry by designing software that enabled anybody, everybody, not just the specialized technocrats, to be able to use computers, and later making the personal computer a virtual necessity in every office, school, and home. This resulted in Bill Gates acquiring billions of dollars and becoming the richest man in America. He first entranced with computers and began programming them at the age of 13 in 1973. He entered Harvard University where he lived down the hall from Steve Ballmer, now Microsoft's chief executive officer. While at Harvard, Gates developed a version of the program language BASIC for the first microcomputer. Quick side note here, Steve Ballmer, basically the co-founder of Microsoft, now the owner of the LA Clippers, uh, go Clippers. All right, back to the reading. Gates was so absorbed in his dream of building a software company that he left Harvard to devote his energies to fulfilling it. A few years earlier, he and his childhood friend Paul Allen had formed a company, Microsoft, as a vehicle for his endeavor, guided by the belief that the computer would be a valuable tool on every office desktop and in every home. They began developing software for, com- for personal computers. Gates' foresight and his vision for personal computing have been central to the success of Microsoft and the, six- and the software industry. Having achieved his major goal, Bill Gates continues to pursue new goals, both in business of creating ever-empowering computer programs and in his phil- philanthropic work, having funded with his wife, Melinda, the largest charitable foundation in the world. You are the master of your fate, the captain of your soul. When the English poet W.C. Henley wrote the prophet lines, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, he should have informed us that the reason we are the masters of our fate, the captains of our souls, is because we have the power to control our thoughts. He should have told us that the ether in which this little planet floats in which we move and have our being is a form of energy moving at an inconceivable high rate of vibration and that the ether is filled with a form of universal power which adopts itself to the nature of the thoughts we hold in our minds and influences us in natural ways to transmit our thoughts into physical into their physical equivalent if the poet had told us this great truth we would know why it is that we are the masters of our fate, the captain of our souls. He should have told us with great emphasis that this power makes no attempt to discriminate between destructive or constructive thoughts, that it will urge us to translate into physical reality thoughts of poverty just as quickly as it will influence us to act upon thoughts of riches. He should have told us, too, that our brains become magnetized with the dominating thoughts we hold in our minds. By means with which no one is familiar, these magnets attract to us the forces, the people, the circumstances of life which harmonize with the nature of our dominating thoughts.
He should have told us that we can accumulate riches in great abundance. We must magnetize our thoughts with intense desire for riches. That we must become money conscious until the desire for money drives us to create definite plans for acquiring it. But being a poet and not a philosopher, Henley contented contented himself by stating a great truth in poet form leaving those who have followed him to interpret the philosophical meaning of his lines. Little by little, the truth has unfolded itself until it appears certain that the principles described in, in this book hold the secret of mastery over our economic fate. Another man who exemplifies being master of his fate is Steven Spielberg, one of the all-time great motion picture, motion picture directors. He dreamed of being a movie director from childhood. He began making amateur films with a primitive camera when he was a child, and the dream never subsided. How Spielberg broke into the Universal Studios is a, is a legend in the movie industry. He took the Universal Studios tour, an attraction that enables visitors to get an inside look at, movie, at the movie business. Visitors ride around the studio lots on a tram. Steven sneaked off the tram and hid between two sound stages until the tour ended. When he left at the end of the day, he made a point of saying a few words to the gate guard. Day after day, he went back to the studio for three months. He walked past the guard, waved at him, and he waved back. He always wrote. He always wore a suit and carried a briefcase, letting the guard assume that he was one of the students for a summer job in the studio. He made a point of speaking to and befriending directors, writers, and editors. He even found a vacant office, took it over, and enlisted his name in the building directory. He made it his business to get to know Sid Seinberg, then head of the production for the studio's television arm. He showed him his college film project, which so impressed Schinberg that he put the young man under contract with the studio. His first full-length film, The Sugarland Express, received critical acclaim and won a Best Screenplay Award in 1974 at the Keynes Film Festival. Unfortunately, it did not do very well at the box office. His big break came a year later when he discovered, when he discovered the book Jaws. The studio had already decided to produce Jaws, and they had chosen a well-known director to film it. Spielberg desperately wanted to make this movie. Despite the financial failure of the Sugarland Express and his self-confidence had not dis- his self-confidence had not dis- diminished and he pers- persuaded the producers to dismiss the chosen director to give him to give the film to him. It was not an easy assignment from the beginning trouble beset the production it ran into technical and budget problems however when Jaws was released in June 1975 and enjoyed twofold success, it broke box office records and critics loved it. Within a month of its release, the film had taken in $60 million at the box office, an unheard amount of time. Over the next few years, Spielberg directed several, several movies, including the popular Indiana Jones series, the award-winning The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, and E.T., he later directed Jurassic Park, which would also become, as its time, the most successful movie in history, the third Spielberg film to break the record. It also brought in over a billion dollars in gross receipts, toys, and other merchandise. Spielberg continues to pursue his dreams. 
when he and his two other Hollywood moguls created their own production company. They called it DreamWorks. We are now ready to examine the first of these principles. Maintain a spirit of open-mindedness. Remember, as you read that, they are the invention of no single person. These principles were gathered from the life experience of more than 500 men who actually acclaimed riches in huge amounts. Men who have begun in poverty with little education or influence. Their principles worked for these men. You can put them to work for your own enduring benefit. You will find it easy, not hard, to do. Before you read the next chapter, I want you to know that it conveys factual information that might easily change your entire financial destiny, as it has definitely brought changes of stupendous proportions to two people described. I want you to know also that the relationship between these two men and myself is such that I could have taken no liberties with the facts, even if I had wished to do so. One of them has been my closest personal friend for almost 25 years. The other is my son. The unusual success of these two men, success that they generously accredited to the principle described in the next chapter, more than justifies their personal reference as a means of emphasizing the far-flung power of this principle. And that's where we're going to end off for this second reading uh, and I will dive into chapter two which is titled desire uh, but let's break down what we just you know you know what we just read and we just heard a little bit you know the story of Henry Ford the story of Bill Gates and of Spielberg you know f- first starting with Ford it, it was him telling his engineers keep going keep testing it keep finding it. I want to find out how we can produce this eight-cylinder engine block. And he didn't waver. He did not waver from what he thought could have been. From what he wanted, he did not waver. You know, Bill Gates had a dream of, you know, bringing personal computers to, to the world and making computing, you know, accessible to the everyday person. And now everyone has a computer in their hand, in their hand, um, yeah, I'm I'm talking into a computer right now on my phone. Uh, and Spielberg, you know, the story of Spielberg is actually pretty amazing. Uh, he 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 decided to go to uh, Universal Studios and and break in basically. And from him doing that, he he created and he created those relationships. He networked he networked with people and and got his foot in the door. And he stayed there. Um, he tr- he triumphed. He persevered, and he made it. And that's what we all can do. That's what I, that's what I took from the you know that short reading today is that we can we can endeavor we can persevere we can we can go. Don't stop what you what you dream and what you believe to be. And some people do, some people don't. And oftentimes, the people that do, they 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 just find themselves a little bit short. But just keep going, keep after it, stay in, stay in the game. Don't waver. And you will get there. Alright guys, hope you guys enjoyed this second series. And 
I hope you guys stay with it. I'm going to get back and read chapter two. I'll probably read it in full. Just I think that'll be a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys stay with it and uh, have an awesome Friday and a great weekend ahead of you. Cheers.